Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Autocar Business Changemakers podcast in association with Tomorrow's Journey. I'm Felix Page, I'm Autocar's news editor. Joining me in the studio today is Chris Kirby, CEO of Tomorrow's Journey, and Ramu Naya, who is head of sales at Invers. A fantastic guest for us to have on, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great to have you here, Ramu. Uh, great to have you here while you're you're in town off the back of the move. Uh, conference. Um, this will be going out a bit later than move, but we're sitting here off the back of a busy couple of days. Um, but just for our listeners who aren't aware of Invers, I guess Invers a massive player in the mobility space, but maybe not always a kind of household name because yeah. of how you guys operate, right? So uh, maybe give us a bit of background as to, to Invers, where you guys came from and, and what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me here. Really a pleasure to do it, even if it's on the back of the move. That's great. Uh, so a lot of ideas you have in the head and you're coming into this a little podcast and that kind of allows us to kind of discuss it a lot more. Mm. But Inverse, just like you said, it's big in the market, but not everybody knows it. Uh, we are the car sharing telematics provider used by probably 60% of the public car sharing operators in Europe. Uh, so if you are ever used Enterprise Car Club in, uh, the, in the UK market or Miles, Share Now, or Get Around in Europe, you probably have interacted with our technology. And what we mainly do is tool sets make the user experience for the, our clients' uh, users to access the car seamless as possible, and also collect the kind of right set of data from the car to allow for the app workflow to work seamlessly too. And that's what we do, uh, and we do that very well. Mm-hmm. How, has the, how has the model changed uh, since the early days? So have you, have you shifted focus completely in, uh, in what you're providing for? I think it's more about, in the end, it's still the same basic uh, experience that we do, you know, when a user comes in front of the car and they're using the app to unlock the car, uh, we make sure that happens. In the past, of course, people used things like a RFID card to mm-hmm. access the car, but now more and more of our clients are completely making it an app-based experience. Everything is on the app, not even giving a key once they get into the car. In the past, they used to give a key, but now more and more people are not even having handing over a key in the user experience, everything through an app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the change. And that's, I guess, the development of the product. I think the thing for me has always been interesting with Invers is that Invers was started, I guess, as a mobility business. So telematics has kind of been around for a long time, people putting yeah. things in cars. But I guess that, that was the original mission of, of Invers was about getting access and driving. What was a bit of the background and how did it start? Yeah, uh, Invers was founded nearly 30 years back. Or actually, this is our 30-year anniversary by uh, Uwe Latz. He was a student in the university in Germany in the University of Siegen. And as a group of friends, they wanted to have a car to meet everything, but they couldn't share the car. They don't, couldn't afford a car, so they want to share the car easily between each other, and that's where it started from. So Inverse is a telematics company, but 95% of our clients are only car sharing players. We are a very niche-focused uh, provider for that, and just focused on making sure that car sharing experience is as smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a niche anymore, though, is it? It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. a emerging market. Yeah, yeah. I used, I used, I used, I like to say sometimes we had a big fish in a small pond, but this pond is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's not anymore a car sharing service provider. It's a car as a service mobility operators technology partner mm-hmm. right nowadays. Yeah, and it's interesting to see also that that technology which you touched on before about kind of RFID card and now into the app experience. I guess that's also how some of the technology has evolved over time because you know the experiences of apps were clunky a bit to start with. Access to data not always, uh, or the data signal on on phones, and also for the devices was sometimes tricky. It's getting getting easier. Yeah, I guess also the emergence of using like Bluetooth uh, technology within within the phones and and that kind of digital key yeah. function. Uh, again, although they feel like 
maybe small for, for your team kind of small innovations actually in terms of how it opens the user experience it becomes uh, massive right from having to have physical like a card that's basically like a key yeah uh, to then uh, you know being able to just have it on your phone it's, it's absolutely i mean i mean it's also that uh, communication technology changing and early in the past it was 2g network 3g network now we are on our latest generation is all on lte mm-hmm. network so which is great for mobile uh, iot technologies for penetration but still bluetooth is an important part of that user validity right regardless of the ideas that we want to give guarantee to our clients that regardless of where the vehicle is located whether it's a very with very good network connection or it's in a deep garage three stories below that the user still can interact with a car and that's what we try to do and that it's like you say it's iterative but it moves the experience very three steps further away than the two years back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, big jumps from that that experience point of view. And I'm just going to touch on the, the Bluetooth thing again, I think because it's interesting, should be interesting for our listeners about how effectively with the Bluetooth you're really giving the, able to give the customer a virtual key in a way. Yeah. So the, the key is stored within the app or the um, authentication is stored within the app. Effectively, it's the key. Mm-hmm. Um, but effectively, you've got a key that exists digitally. So you can have the key and then I take the key off you because you're not using it anymore and the key goes to Felix. And, and that ability to, I guess thinking of it when I try and explain the Bluetooth stuff to, to people um, when, when we're using it and working with you guys, that's kind of how they think of it as like a little key, keys yeah. in in ones and zeros that you can pass between people via an app. This is actually quite a powerful uh, tool. Yeah, and it's uh, it's like you said. I mean, it really makes us uh, opens up the possibility of where can a digital user experience can be brought into. In the past, for operators, there's always a sense of insecurity doing that way without giving the key because they're not sure if it'll always work. But the way the technology has moved forward, that it will always work now, right? And that digital key on a Bluetooth on the phone makes sure that you can think about using it in traditional rental spaces also, where you might book the car from a in an area of full connectivity, but you might drive the car to countryside for a thing or a, back in for a trek or anything, but still that phone mm. connects to the car mm. to unlock and lock it. And, and what opportunities does that afford, uh, say, a fleet operator? What What can they now do with this improved communication technology that they couldn't do? 20 years ago? I think it really kind of, and that kind of moves back to this topic of what are fleet operators thinking about services, right? Mm-hmm. And in the, right now, incumbents were either thinking of themselves as a car rental player or a car racing player or a car sharing player, but these boundaries are blurring. Everybody is now feeling like I have to think about myself as a car as a service provider, and the technology kind of really helps them not to see where all can they roll in the service in different areas. And they don't have to earmark a certain group of the fleet for one service or other. They just think of a larger group set of vehicles that can be interchangeably used between each services. So this access technology and the speed of it and everything allows them to quickly move the car between different user cases. And these services doesn't necessarily need to be their own. They can make the asset available to all the existing service operators out there to borrow from their pool. So these are the many ways that opens it up much more. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing around the the business models. Is a thing that we talk about quite a lot, which was in my presentation at Move. I did, but talking about like uh, separating uh, like vehicles and, and customers, kind of making them a many to many relationship. So you think today, traditionally, you lease a car for four years, you have you have one person or like one user, one car, and they're fixed together for a period of time. Even yeah. on a car rental, like three days, five days, week. It's like a one-to-one relationship. Yeah. But for kind of mobility to grow, that relationship needs to be, be be broken out. So you have a fleet and you have a load of customers, but you want them to move more flexibly, not completely transiently, but like more flexibly in between them. Yeah. But what you can't do with a physical key is like a 
the, probably the biggest barrier to that. I mean, without some of maybe the, the technical pieces, but the, the key is the biggest barrier to that. And if you can pass the key between users and you say, okay, okay, right, you have this car, now you have this car, then that all of a sudden like, completely opens up that, that possibility. Yeah. Uh, and is that something you guys are starting to see more that with the car as a service? I do I do see that uh, uh, definitely one of our big clients uh, serving uh, is in the came from the car sharing space but they have more more to become a car as a service player where with their app I'm a power user of the app just to, to give them a bit of a heads up they're gonna call out miles as the car sharing player they are the biggest one in Germany amazing service with their app I can just basically go into a car and decide I just want to tr- take it for two minutes to pop into the uh, grocery store to do the shopping or hey I'm going for the weekend into the countryside I can mm-hmm. take it for a weekend or I need a car for three months in the city because I'm working here for three months I can subscribe to that thing but it's that car is used ac- across however it is and let's say I'm in the countryside or in this another city for car subscription three months I can stop the subscription cost then the car is there immediately for the next person to use for a car sharing space so it really kind of opens it up as you say you know, that many to many relationship very flexible and the biggest one of the biggest roadblocks in the way was this physical action of giving away the key right but now it, there's no physical action of giving away a key you can make the car stand anywhere and anybody else can take that service mm. what are the what are the security implications of uh, of integrating that technology i think uh, a lot of the second thing we take care of it and it's all about making sure that the encryption to the key of this thing is maintained very well and has a time uh, stamp to it and also that the encryption is only allocated to that phone and to that uh, box in the car and but that's the part of the things our platform takes care of right that you can transfer that encryption carefully and uh, with authentication to different systems and as long as all our operators KYC process has that level of uh, steps to make sure that the users into their platform are authenticated and we take care of that other level of authentication from that to be transferred to the car as such. Right. Mm. That's the key thing as well. We come across this a lot in projects we've worked on together and also separate, separately. The, often the asset owners are worried about security. They go, yeah. oh, what, you take the key away and you're just going to make it the key exist in the cloud, like in, in the air? That sounds really, it sounds like anyone can grab it. But the reality is actually more secure than a key. Like with most digital products, so you take away the bank card and you make everything you know, on your phone. Actually, it's more secure because it's the you know, face ID, the encryption is higher. You, know, you can steal my car key out of my bag and take yeah. my car. You can't steal my virtual key out of my phone unless you steal my phone and you hack my phone and you hack the app in the phone yeah. to get access to the car. Like that is way more difficult than stealing the key off my you know, out of my house or out of my bag. Right. So yeah. that actually provides greater levels of security. Yeah. And with the device in the car, you can add, and we add other further layers of security on top of all that layers in the in a situation of risk. We do a lot of things like we connect to the immobilizer of the engine. So you can trigger immobilizer in a fraud situation so that when the car is, not when the car is running, you, you can wait for the car to be stopped somewhere and the shut down and we know the status of the engine and the door and we see that the engine is off and the door is locked, you can auto-trigger the immobilizer so that even if they come back, first of all, without a key, they cannot access the car. Mm-hmm. And even if they get into the car uh, for whatever way, they cannot start the engine without an authorization from the provider. Gosh, it all makes the, the car key feel like quite an outdated concept, that's, doesn't it? I, I, you know, I confess I haven't thought about it that much, but it's funny, you know, you, you pick up a £150,000 car and it still comes with a, a chunky <laughs> thing that you have to carry around yeah. in your pocket and uh, steal out your pocket. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I mean, this is why, like, a lot of the automakers and the phone manufacturers are part of this, something called Car Connected Consortium, uh, which we are also part of, which is about working towards ways to improve the standardization of the digital car access approach. 
whether that's less about a physical key and more about these on the phone and app based uh, interaction with the car. Yeah, I think, yeah, um, yeah it's definitely uh, that, that ability to immobilize as well that you touched on is a really fascinating one because, again, you don't have that ability with a with a key either, right? So the ability to remotely immobilize the, the vehicle uh, is so, so important, particularly if you are actually using a blended model, which we've done on some projects with you guys where there's a key in the car and, and people have gone, oh, but what happens if someone smashes the window and takes a key? Yeah, but it's immobilized unless it's you know, unlocked with the app. Yeah. Um, and I was like to share a small anecdote because it makes going make me look stupid. But when we were testing one of the projects that uh, we were working on, I actually had the, one of the test cars with me, and um, it was actually last summer, boiling hot day. And uh, I was like, I just need to move the car. It wasn't where it was outside my house, but I needed to move it. somewhere. got into the car, Toyota I go. I just couldn't start it. I was like, What's going on? If I not using the right place, a weird automatic thing. Mm-hmm. I was boiling hot in the car. And it took about 20 minutes for me to realize that the car had been locked by the inverse device. So the vehicle was immobilized. So, of course, the key, I was trying to lock it with the key and move it. Yeah, uh, it's the thing. It's like, damn, Ramu, <laughs> this technology is making me boiling hot. I'm sweating in this car. So I had to call uh, the office and get one of the guys to just to go into the inverse back office, like flip the switch, car unlocks, or car does a little unlock, I'm immobilized, I move the car. But yeah, it's that, that kind of thing. I, w- I was trying, I had the key, I was allowed to get into it and I couldn't move it because... So it, it, in what application would you use a blended model then with a, with a physical key and the inverse device? It is more like a legacy system of having a blended key and the inverse device and also what, what how old the car model is, right? Mm. You might need the dead physical key of the key, the metal element, if it's a ignition value mm-hmm. turning, mm-hmm. right? So that's where sometimes we need a blended model. And that is more prevalent in peer-to-peer car sharing. Where people have older cars, right? And then they need the kind of yep. turn thing. And even though we evangelize a lot about the capability of our technology to work everywhere, there's still there's a certain risk. It's also user comfort also, because mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I want to take this car into the countryside. Can you make sure you give me the key? You know, mm-hmm. you know. I just want to make sure that if there's a problem, I can still access the car. I don't, what if my phone runs out? What if there's no internet connection? We keep trying to educate them. It works on Bluetooth. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to worry. Just keep your phone charged. That's the main thing. So this is something. But it kind of one of the I concepts we are kind of testing and working on. The next level is all right. You want something physical to unlock and lock the car. What if we give you a simple clicker? component. It's a simple clicker that basically locks and unlocks the car, but instead it's, it's actually the key from the manufacturer. It's just a physical clicker that you can even brand in your operator's brand and it unlocks and locks. the. Cl- it's basically communicating with our device. It's basically a key mm-hmm. because you want to have a key, but it's still the device that's doing the job, mm-hmm. right? And you're just it's connecting. universal in that sense, right? So I have a clicker, but right now that clicker's tied to this car, but then it can be tied to a different. Exactly, thing. yeah. You can, you can be give it as a membership, uh, part of a membership of a subscriber or a membership of a car as a service operator. I have this clicker. Tomorrow I'm bo- uh, booking the Porsche Taycan from here from this provider. The clicker now allows me to open that next day, but it's only allowed for me to do that till the time I booked it. After that, it doesn't work anymore. But the next day I'm booking a uh, Volvo car, then it is transferred to that car. Okay. So for the operator, they don't have to give away a 200 euro uh, key, OEM key for this thing. They have more security on that asset. They can control the access of it and they can brand it. Mm. And it becomes interoperable as well. I mean, one of the um, use cases that we use a blended uh, product for is for test drive. So we have some customers who are doing kind of remote access test drive. And of course, uh, if you are going to buy a car or lease or, or rent a, a car kind of longer term, you, you're going to be using a, a key primarily. So to get that true experience, we can let the customer unlock the car 
they get access to the vehicle, they then take the key, and then it's like, all right, I'm, I'm owning the car, I'm simulating, yeah. I, go, I go to the shop, I lock it, and then it's... It's a psychological thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. You have the keys. You have the keys, yeah. yeah. The the, keys. yeah, yeah. But uh, really, I mean, there are so many clients of ours, so like, say, head of the car in the kind of service they do, uh, miles and some of them, there is no physical key. I'm mm-hmm. all, always interacting with the app. I get, I walk up, find the car, I walk up to it, press unlock, under two seconds it opens, get in, put the uh, phone in there, buckle my seat and press the start, stop, and drive away. Mm. At the end of the ride, get out, switch off the engine, put it into park, get walk, get out, press unlock, lock on the car, walk away. So the uh, the actual interaction between getting ready for the drive and getting there is like just like you would do it with your own key mm. on a car. You've mentioned a couple of sorts of um, of car sharing, peer-to-peer yeah. and uh, you know, car as a service. Where's the line between those two? I know you said the boundaries are, are blurring these days, but what, what still marks them out for you? Okay, I mean, uh, uh, traditionally, or let's say what we the market calls peer-to-peer is private people or a, uh, sharing the car with some other person. It's the Airbnb model of mm-hmm. uh, sharing a car. Uh, and that's where here car here in uh, in UK is big. Also get around and churros. These are what they are known for. And then there is the free floating model, which is what the miles and the share now where the cars are parked anywhere in a certain area of operation. You will find the car on the app, walk up to it, just like a lime or any kick scooter. You do, but you do that with a car, unlock it and drop it off anywhere within the area of operation. Yeah. Okay. And then there are the station-based concepts, which is more like return back to the things so I think Zipcar might be station-based here. Or... Yeah, they do some mi- mixture. But, yeah. They do a yeah, mixture. Like uh, Enterprise Car Club, also the same. Like, yeah. Milton Keith, where I live, there, there's station or like uh, area. A spot where you have to pick up the car and return it. So these are the models of how the operator wanted to do it. But the boundaries I see uh, blurring, while this like Zipcar has a bit of a mixture thing, is more like a car sharing player is also becoming more of a car subscription player, mm-hmm. right? And a car sharing player is off services are getting overlapping more into traditional rental space, right? Because I can now take a car, a car sharing car in Germany, for example, from the airport. So, you know, the airport rental thing is not there. There's not the airport counter uh, headache. Uh, it's not there for, especially if we have a couple of projects in the uh, Spanish islands and everything from some operators where they're biggest user groups of regular holiday travels who just hates the wait in front of the counter. They lock, they book the car, they walk, get out of their flight, walk up to the parking lot, unlock and drive away. There's no way. They, all that KYC insurance and everything is taken care of before they even travel on an online platform. And they do all that and then they just block, unlock the car and drive it away and then come back and return in the same parking lot and then get into the airport. That's when they're returning seconds, out of office, uh, hours return. All that thing is taken care of. So when that, so the boundary of where an asset can be used in for somebody to use it is just blurring in that sense. And it also, when it's into, what I also hope see is that in car subscription is that just like I might subscribe to a car for five, six months, but I'm not using the car all the time. What if I can allow the car to be put on a peer-to-peer platform or a rental platform when I'm not using it, you know? So that's also kind of opening up where I can do an Airbnb sharing of the car I am using, not a car I am owning, a car I am subscribing from someone else. Mm -hmm. And that freedom of usage of a car from one service to other, according to the situation, is what we hope gets more and more. Mm -hmm. That, in effect, increases the utilization of a car, right? And that's a bit of the where it becomes car or vehicle as a service, right? So yeah. that's where where they do start to become 
a service collectively and actually the the amount of time you have or what you're having becomes kind of decoupled it's back to that kind of decoupling piece again because yeah. really it becomes a couple of things about whether like who's the asset owner in yeah. the case of peer-to-peer the asset owner is typically non-professional i know you get power hosts and people with small fleets but like it's a non-fleet operator uh, who won't have like their own insurance they won't have anything too too complex and then you've got these bigger operators and then over the top is the service and the yeah. services are going to vary um although they'll start to blur you'll have packages for young drivers and you have packages for older drivers and you know different value chains but then overall then yeah those two things are decoupled assets owned by different people services to serve different people and that becomes a massive like ecosystem yeah. in the middle um but it's super complex to to achieve like logistically and this type of technology is part of the a big part of the um, kind of way about opening all that up, I think. Yeah. Uh, so definitely fascinating. Um, I was going to talk about, when we were touching on the technology piece, um, about how uh, your technology blurs a bit with inbuilt connected car technology. Mm. So yes. we know that like in majority of vehicles, it really varies by manufacturer. Lots of like almost 100% coverage now. Some are still like pretty, pretty low. Um, but they kind of, a lot of the cars are coming out of the factory with some form of technology um, connected, some form of way of remotely accessing uh, vehicles and things. Um, how do you guys see kind of the, the merging between the two and what the, the, some of the challenges with that? Yeah, I mean, that's the holy grail for all fleet people out yeah. there. And I go to about 10 different fleet conferences a year and everybody's talking about the connected car thing. It's a holy grail. And we also were excited about it and kind of made our own experiments with this OEM API for uh, connecting and everything. And you get data from the car. You get good data from the car, depending on the car model, coverage is over there. But it's a bit more challenging to bring it into that user experience aspect of a car sharing provider, right? To put it on the mobile phone and everything. For example, we talked a lot about Bluetooth. The Bluetooth is not common within all of these providers. Mobility service, Bluetooth is not necessarily there. And and then it comes down to speed and real-time data push into the app. So, for example, with our technology, if an operator wants to build the app user experience, let's say, and I'm a user of the car. I am getting in the car, and uh, I use the car. I'm fi- and finishing it. I'm getting out of the car, and I'm unlocking it. The app already gets from our box, collecting the data from the car, saying the status of the vehicle engine. Is it uh, switched off? Is the door locked? Is If it's a battery vehicle, is the charging cable plugged back in? Is it being charged? All that information is passed real-time into the phone, either via Bluetooth or via cellular network. So the phone's workflow can already do the check process to make sure this car is safe to return for a, from a rental, or is it not ready yet so that they can, they can warn the user, hey, have you locked the car? Have you rolled out the window? And things like that. That requires a very quick latency, the not very low latency on the information flow between the device and everything, and frequency of data update should be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. That is not standardized enough across operators or fast enough uh, across the OEMs API. So for an operator to build their service on multiple APIs, they need somebody who can standardize that. And that's still, for the standardize and aggregate, it's still a challenge because it's not there yet from the OEMs side. But this is what we keep an eye on to see if that, because that's the thing, you know, reduce the logistics of putting a box in a car and then it's just the car is just like mm-hmm. the digital key, if the car comes already ready for that, that would be awesome, but it's still a bit far away for a car sharing service, definitely. And if cars as a service expands to having that kind of user experience, not yet there. So in an ideal world, you would know the second the door was shut, you would know when the seatbelt was clicked in, you'd know everything within a millisecond of it happening. It would be good to have, I don't know if you need the seatbelt 
uh, element. You know, yeah, yeah. Make sure it's being driven safely. Well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. The more information you can get to make sure that everybody's doing the right thing to do with the car, it's in real time. That makes the operator to have a series of automations on the system to do that. Mm. That would be the ideal thing. And we try to, we are, our technology is a little bit more closer to the ideal than the OEM technology. Right. Because we at least can standardize the speed because it's our thing. Because we are creating the same level of user uh, experience and the same level of uh, let's call it service reliability that an a platform builder like Tomorrow's Journey can do so they can maintain that across any kind of car model. It's not dependent on the car model then anymore, right? So it's like democratized across mm -hmm. the Yeah, yeah. And it is that thing of it, the democratization is really important, the standardization, is, as you mentioned. And I think connected car also, like every fleet conference I've been to for 10 years talks about the connected <laughs> car. Um, and it is starting to to happen and you are able to get data pulls from some certain vehicles. But I guess it's, I always think of it like kind of a bit of a pyramid and, you know, the, the bottom level of stuff, you know, the basic information that's not time fully time sensitive, uh, that's relatively standardized. I mean, you're talking about vehicle mileage, right? Vehicle yeah. mileage, you can standardize vehicle. TJ could get feeds from five different OEM manufacturers in raw data and standardize mileage. It's just a number. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. But like, the more complicated you get, the, the harder it is to standardize it and the more accuracy, I guess, and, and uh, lower latency you need. And for car sharing, in the way you described it, that user experience is like right at the top of the pyramid. It's like yeah. thing you need. You need the best data in real time and you need the full connectivity and it needs to be super reliable and like all of that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's that how far is the OEM data, aggregated data moving up the pyramid? And I guess that's the, the question and how quickly it will move. Yeah, it's, it's about how what it's all about defend, depending on your definition of what is a connected car. You can say a connected car is something that sends the mileage information every three minutes to 30 minutes in the system. Okay, that's connected, yes. Yeah. But we have a different definition of connected cars. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Can't run a car sharing service from that. Yeah. But yeah, that is definitely the thing. You go, all of our cars coming off the production line are connected. In the, yeah. But what's the level on And that's the thing, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, it's easy to do, yeah, predictive, or to do maintenance alerts based on a mileage figure that you read once a day. That's very different to be able to check the charge levels to facilitate a booking to then provide access to the vehicle in a place with no uh, LTE signal. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a fascinating kind of space to, to see evolving. Um, and do you find, and uh, no, we've talked about this before, but about the um, working with the OEMs directly in some of these things, because I guess their understanding of connected car and the technology and like using third party um, products and things is to, can sometimes be, be challenging because the access to that OEM data, which certainly we found as a, a platform operator, is quite difficult. You know, sometimes easy to get some of the standardized data, but they don't want to let, let go of the more advanced features up the pyramid. This pyramid I've just invented, by the way, but I'm going to uh, pay <laughs> trademark. It's, it's a helpful visual <laughs> it's tool. Helpful. Well, it's like you're doing this, even though yeah, it's a yeah, podcast. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. But as we kind of move up the, the thing, they, they get more and more reluctant to share, certainly share the information, but like in terms of creating push commands to, to a vehicle and things, um, definitely like that's when you get some very funny looks on calls and in meetings and things. So what was your experience of that, uh, that space? I think there are some operators, I mean, sorry, OEMs who... <clears throat> are more willing to engage in conversations, but it's not the highest priority topic for them. And uh, the the conversations are happening, but definitely not at the pace or the interest that they would put for a lot of other topics, you know. In the end, and we are still a very small percentage of potential revenue stream they see in the future, mm -hmm. compared to they still think of themselves as a car seller, yeah. right? not as a car as a service approach. Is there are a few OEMs who are exploring that mindset, like Renault with their mobilized group, et cetera, but uh, 
yeah, it's still a bit far away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that the monetization thing is also interesting for the OEM because I think uh, also I'm thinking to love all of the fleet presentations I've been to and the whole data is the new oil. Yeah, we've probably seen that a million times. Is that the the point that it's time to leave the conference when that slide comes up? But um, I think <laughs> the, the OEMs have kind of convinced that in a way, almost gone that sometimes the other way and convinced themselves that like connected car is their new like holy grail revenue stream. Um, but then that also means they're going, oh, we don't want to give we don't want to give access to this because yeah, you know, it's our, it's our it's our value, it's our money, and uh, but also in not opening up those services, it becomes more difficult. I yeah, I find that that's a bit of a I found a barrier there as well. I think also a lot of OMCs a connected car element for more for them to create uh, gamification and a little bit of a little bit of extra revenue by uh, add on buying revenue to the end user. Hey, I have a new Tesla or a new Volvo. I don't have seat heating capability here. I want to buy the seat heating capability for a little moment of my time. Can I subscribe to the seat heating for a little? I mean, you saw that recently. I think BMW, yeah, BMW did yeah. did that recently. For about I, a week until everyone went mental for me. But I have heard here and there from some operators, this idea is, they are the, some OEM, sorry, uh, that they are all looking at it from that perspective. Is there a way they can, with the connected car, they can explore being more like a, add-on features buying and etc well there's scope for for that sort of functionality to really uh shape a, a car sharing platform i think because you know someone might borrow a car for two days they're going out to the countryside it's going to be cold they want the heated seat they're giving it back to someone in london who's got a commute tomorrow morning and it's going to be 25 degrees they really don't want the heated seat so yeah. that sort of temporary upgrade i, I do get on board with that i think that's a uh, you can see how that would work in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. In the OEMs, I, that's where they are seeing this ability to monetize a little bit more mm -hmm. by extra features or extra abilities from the car for uh, use case might be what they are thinking. I don't know. I had, I'm not in, I would love to be a fly on the wall in those meetings they're having <laughs> inside these big organizations, but no. we, are in, we are seeing it from the outside perspective, right? Uh, what's the what's the legislative framework like around data access? Is there Are there laws that that um, promote access to that data or are there laws that restrict access to that data? Um, I must admit I'm not that knowledgeable enough to say one way or the other. Uh, I think it's still very early for everybody mm. of them. I mean, there's a big question about who owns the data of a car. Yeah. If it's an owned car or is it a used car with the entire concept of GDPR in question, it, it really kind of is the thing that people are trying to understand where that perspective mm. is, right? Mm. Uh, so... I think that a quick question hasn't come up to a certain level that people are trying to actively answer it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. We've been asked that question before in these types of projects, and often the answer is that there isn't an answer. Yes. Like, do you conform to the standards of the GDPR. thing? And you go, well, we are, follow we are following GDPR, but there is no standards for... Because in that world, going back to the kind of asset and customer and service being independent, there is that, that where the data sits, the data has been generated by the car, for a customer in a service that's not linked to the owner of the car, it's yeah. very blurry lines yeah. between yeah. who's storing what data and how's that managed. So I think that there's some work to be done. There are some things to be learned. I think in that in that space. Absolutely. I mean, we we face that questions about flights. Say, we track a lot of data, but we don't have any idea who the who the user is. Mm. That's with the operator. So mm. there's always that question that comes up. Mm. Right? And we try to answer that as best as we can, and then we see the guidance and see how best we can adapt to it. Mm -hmm. right. will vary by geography as well. That's a, a yeah. thing, you know, written region, but also because you guys operate internationally, right? So yeah. it's not even just by country, but then you have you know, Europe versus US and Asia and other things. So exactly. it's definitely going to be an evolving evolving space like for, for certain in that in that area. Well, we, we've spoken before, haven't we, about the um, 
there's the liability question as well as in a car as a service model if there is an accident or a, you know a, a, a speeding fine or something like that but how does that get traced who picks that up and who who is ultimately accountable for that the driver should be but you know how is their insurance policy decided because what I mean, kind of information is there that's exactly kind of put a, like a good topic for us you know while we make the digital user experience very much easier for our operator it means that the operators people don't have hands on the car for a long time so mm-hmm. that's a lot of asset protection or asset attribution things doing so we do a lot of things for our operators to get the data so we have ability to track the speeding of the people we can track if somebody's over speeding combine looking at here map data to see how for the speed limits we can track over cornering or braking we can also have real time something new we do real time damage detection so if you are a user of an operator you're backing into the uh, parking garage and is crashed the last side of the car we can detect that and send in a report saying we think during a parking this person crashed a crash on the left side or the car was parked and somebody hit it on the front left side all this data we can give to the operator and they can use that in a very clever way with the consent from the user to do a lot of things the car damage data and the driving behavior data is very interesting because for driving behavior data you can incentivize good driving behavior yeah. and scoring and give rewards for that and with the damage detection element you can also work with the insurance providers because car sharing players tend to get the highest premiums of uh have to pay the highest premiums because insurance providers see that as a risk but with our data or the data from other sources combined together they can make it user based so please only give me the higher premiums if my user is driving badly but if the car was parked somewhere even though it's a car sharing car it's parked somewhere and somebody else crashes in it don't give me the higher premiums mm. right better claims and etc so I think a lot of operators like the idea because it allows them to work with the user and say hey you if you're confident you are a good driver then we will give you a lower rate and only worry about the person who's driving rashly right and that is the kind of conversation the operators and the service providers need to have with their users yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah. and that data is really key for for that kind of thing isn't it to get because risk i guess risk insurance claims is probably one of the biggest barriers for operators particularly in sharing particularly free floating yeah uh, so to be able to control that like know, knowing where the vehicle is what it's doing who's responsible that chain of custody because equally you know, someone is is a third party claim but you don't have the ability to capture it because the driver didn't you know, all of a sudden you become liable for more things than you should be and all of that yeah. stuff so it's definitely a thing that those guys are going to want to control and imagine more yeah. and more so the so that's the thing you know the so our development directions are overall too focused was to create the better but as much as possible the best user experience for this thing and while that is happening and the you are less and less touching the car as an operator to get the as much data for reducing risk reducing accident mm-hmm. uh, problems everything so that they have a the real less set of information to build it better for their service mm-hmm. so this is the two directions and i that also kind of opens up the option for this car as a service boundaries for a lot of these incumbents in the market yeah most of all you need that you need that live that real-time monitoring as well for for just general maintenance and servicing and you know keeping a fleet in perfect operating condition you need to know yes if the car's got full pumped up tires and uh you know. yeah yeah that's i mean the more data and uh, how it uh, how it can be used in the operations is definitely more valuable and that's also the thing you can get a lot of data but it's how do you activate the data yep. into operational workflow is always a question. Mm, yes. Yeah. And it's a really good point you're making about your kind of uh, product development stuff. That was one of the, my next questions I was going to ask. So the, the risk side, I can, can see we're talking about that. In the customer experience side, um, 
what's kind of next? You talked about your uh, potential clicker uh, solution. What else is in that customer experience like roadmap for you guys? Uh, mostly because it'd be interesting to listeners, but also good for me to report back to my product team. <laughs> so we can yeah. have a live product. Uh, I think one, uh, definitely this uh, clicker thing is something we're working on. Also making sure our uh, the, the access technology keeps moving faster. It's always about making sure why we have a philosophy of managed connectivity, which means that we take care of sure that the box is always connected to our cl- operator's platform to get the data. And we do that various ways. So constantly improving, optimizing on that. So it's optimization activities on that. But one of the big things we recently launched is the ability kind of push towards this journey of blurring boundaries is to allow different client bases of ours to share their assets between each other. So I have a car subscription client to allow that car to be available for a car sharing client at a high and low time. Because what our mission is to increase car utilization, reduce the amount of cars on, on the road. And if our car sharing clients are very successful, we are happy about it, but of course with their success comes demand, right? And sometimes they don't have supply. And in that kind of situation comes, people try to buy more cars to meet the supply, but what, what we have a lot of other clients who's in the same city who has a different complementary use case car sitting there. So corporate carpool cars are used heavily. We, do the, we, we did a kind of analysis of the usage patterns. We saw a lot of our corporate carpool clients' cars are used heavily during the week while our car sharing clients and other people are more used in the weekend. One of these two athletes can share it between each other. So we build a layer on top to allow that kind of interchange. Mm-hmm. So this is one way. It's less about user experience, uh, to be honest, coming, but that's yeah. one way we can ex- allow for the users, the demand to be satisfied by not by having more supply in each silos, but remove the silos and there's one operate, let's say one fleet provider for different service providers out there. Yeah, and it is customer experience uh, in an extent than like one stage removed, right? If you yeah. can make better availability, if you increase utilization, brings down cost. Yeah. It's good for customer experience. Yeah. Uh, so we're not talking necessarily UX as such, but you know, experience of customers is good if the cost is down, uh, but also availability, right? So again, that, that's the thing we've, we've talked about, particularly in this space. Of, uh, if you're using a car sharing service, you want to have the most vehicles available, most closest to where you are at the time. And the idea of having 10 operators in a city or with their independent fleets means that you're always further away than if some of those vehicles were pulled, right? Or if there was parts of, uh, there was more availability of vehicles but kind of from different different services. So that definitely can help the, the experience on both yeah, sides. Absolutely, so that's one thing. The other thing we are exploring is, now we got the user experience to do the app and unlock, but what if they blocked it and we are exploring the idea of not even needing to take the phone out of the pocket but they are closer to the car in our okay. Yeah, like how you, you're trying to get closer to the key experience, right? Yeah. That's all our, our journey is trying to get closer to the key experience. What can we do to get closer to the key experience, right? Uh, and that's what the other thing to the, let the phone and Bluetooth proximity detection do that. We are not there yet. Mm. It's, a, it's a challenge, but that's one thing. But also the other side of it when is to reduce any kinds of, let's call it the over-the-counter request that they ask or things that they book to make that all an online journey and to make reduce the kind of insecurity people have about it. So I am a car sharing player, a client, I want to book this car that's lying over there. Oh, I do want to book something that has a child seat in it. How do I know this car has a child seat? Now, the, op- the operator could have put a child seat in the car when they, before in the last service cycle they did of it, but is that child seat still there? Mm-hmm. So what we are doing, making sure is that we are also trying to see if we can detect these accessories are remaining with the car during between each rentals. 
Mm. So that could be using a combination of Bluetooth tokens and the Bluetooth uh, model in our device to scan for these things at the end of each rental cycle to make sure that's still within the proximity of the car. So it's good for the next user, but also to make sure that the existing user hasn't taken them either thinking their own or, or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I want to plug a car for the charging cable, EV charging cable. Yeah, That's a big thing. Make sure that those are returned. Yeah. You said earlier about democratizing, which is a, a great word for this this sort of thing. I love that. But um, it, it strikes me that it's, it's technology, it's functionality that only really at this stage makes sense in the most expensive, the higher margin part of the car market, certainly. Can you, can you imagine a world where, you know, Chris's Toyota Igo, you can you can look inside that virtually and you can monitor all that data. No, actually, a lot of the car sharing clients don't work with high-end cars. They work with pretty... Right now, Zoe mm-hmm. is one of the most used car sharing electric vehicles. Uh, and a lot of the uh, car sharing players' ICE cars are pretty standard, simple cars out there, like uh, Kambi, one of the largest station-based car sharing players in Germany. Their biggest, their main workhorse is the Opel Corsa mm-hmm. or the Ford Focus or the... One of the smaller versions of the Ford, right? So it, it it doesn't necessarily need to be, and that's what our technology democratizes that you don't have to use the high-end cars. You can use a very uh, cost-effective car for an operator for your purpose. Mm. So that's also possible. Uh, where democratization allows for oper- uh, service providers, where I love to see is this concept of car subscription, but use car subscription. There's a lot that is opening up opportunities for people who needs mobility you know social mobility is a topic and i love the some of these examples of used car subscription allows for people who couldn't afford a car or afford the car subscription but with a used car subscription it's really coming down they can afford it to travel to their work and there are opera- people who help people to build their be a uber driver or uh, like a uber driver or lyft driver with that kind of democratization the service providers out there who do that with the used cars mm. right so that's amazing yeah that, and that's definitely a thing that will come um, pretty quickly over time because right now subscription services are seen as being more expensive I think yeah. you're getting closer to price parity when you look at bundled offers but a lot of the subscription services are with newer cars or say higher end but like with the uh, BEV vehicles that are kind of 30-40k yeah. ticket yeah. price um, but there's definitely and I see there was a bigger opportunity in that lower you know, if you're talking like a three year old vehicle um, that's there and, and if you have more users on it actually the increased utilisation means lower cost mm-hmm. people are sharing the cost of a vehicle over time, then that actually reduces the cost overall. But we've kind of not quite seen those things come together, but I think they might happen quite quickly. At some point, there'll be a, a tipping um, moment, and then we'll be like, okay, right, the utilization is high enough, the, the amount of vehicles or mix of vehicles is enough, that then all of a sudden we find you know, a really low price point, you know, £10 per day to get a car or you know, £100 per month to get access to a car as long as you share it for X number of days. Yeah, they, those types of things are really not... F- Technologically, they're not far away. It's just that they're not quite at the tipping point yeah. yet. But okay. that's yeah. when I think the democratization, and that's a big thing that you know, we're really passionate about, is that the people often who need access to mobility the most are the ones that struggle to afford it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the yeah. Best, of course. Uh, that's a, what we should be trying to uh, to address. Yeah, and uh, I think that's also where these the incumbent or mobility players, big mobility groups in different countries who has different verticals of different businesses, are now really looking at their different verticals and thinking, all right. What if I see a combined way of doing it as a mobility service? And different people are experimenting, different people are trying to find it. And I guess it's it's that innovation of the operating model and how that operations work. And it's that flux is happening right now until it kind of settles down to somebody who figured it out and then other people copies it. And then they collaborate together to reduce cost savings. So 
uh, in the past, car sharing players had their own fleet ops team in big cities. They handled the fleet ops teams. But now in a big city like Berlin or Paris, there are so many car sharing players. They have are now going to third-party fleet ops people who does the live maintenance, cleaning of the cars for across every one of these car sharing players in one city. So they are able to democratize the cost of fleet ops a little bit more like that. So as the industry matures and people find it, they see what they want to keep in their hands for the user experience and mm-hmm. the service elements, but there will be other service providers who come into the space to provide value across a lot of players and keep the cost down. And that's the maturity of the industry coming up. Yeah, definitely. This point, it becomes a becomes a real differentiator in the yeah. in the market. I guess just as a, we're kind of closing out, I think a bit on this, we're interested to know what your thoughts are in kind of the space, a uh, bit of future projecting, not necessarily around this uh, around your technology because you've talked about your your roadmap. Um, I don't know we're talking a bit about how these are progressing, but there are some things that you're either hoping to see or you're expecting to see in the next few years that are most exciting to you, I guess. I think I mean uh, so. I, I'm just I, coming from Move, right? So there's so many. <laughs> must be about a thousand things in your. Uh, I mean, definitely. I mean, uh, we, we have the luck of when people want to start a service in different kinds of mode, and they think about, oh, how do I make my car a little bit more connected? I need to give the access. We, I get, me and my team and our company get the 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 lux, the, the 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 good fortune to meet all these new ideas very early on. And among the many ideas that I see mainly on car subscription is definitely one of the things, but it's get, getting beyond this used car subscription. This is what makes me excited. And then I all I hear to a lot of, <clears throat> uh, let's say, small, medium business fleet operators, right? There are a lot of people who wants to have own 10, 20 cars and they want to monetize it, right? And it allows, and they are all exploring how can they monetize it. They want, and the five years back they would have explored a peer-to-peer place but now they want to have a little bit more control of the asset and choose to put it I want to put it today in this peer-to-peer platform next tomorrow in that peer-to-peer platform the day after tomorrow I want to put it in this rental service I am a broker of cars for the different operators and services out there and I think I am excited in that trend to kind of move forward from just a small individual who owns 10 cars to a leasing company who starts thinking about it that way that I'm not going to provide the service. I'm following all the assets that I rent out to various services out there. That, mm-hmm. I think, would be a way it would go. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, Ho- Wholesale asset supplied, right? That's yeah. It's that split of asset and service, that the service providers who have access to the customers do the service bit, but they yeah. don't want to actually be a fleet operator because they, they maybe don't know so much about that and let the people that are good at operating fleets, like leasing co- companies and rental companies, yeah. Supply the vehicles, but on a wholesale basis, is yeah. Could be and then the asset also doesn't have to worry about main insurances. It's the the insurances varies according to where the asset is temporarily. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's the emergence of a whole new sector, isn't it? Completely, you know, it's uh, yeah, unthought. And that's why we do the podcast. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Change leakers. <laughs> exactly. It's called out to you guys. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it feels like a, an optimistic note to, uh, to bring things yes. to a close on. So uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thank, thank you, you. For, for sharing all that with us. It was great to hear from you and uh, really exciting to watch. We'll be back, uh, we'll be back next time with uh, another exciting guest and lots more exciting things to talk about. So uh, thank you very much for listening and watching uh, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.